Exiles is a podcast that explores life following Jesus Christ in South Africa. We want to think deeply about what the Bible has to say about life and talk about what that might mean in the situations God has placed us in. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those held by the host, co-host, or production team. As this is a discussion and not a pure teaching platform, it is up to the listener to engage with the content responsibly. Oh, hi there, and welcome to another episode of Faithful Exiles, uh, the podcast that explores what a life of faith in and faithfulness to Jesus Christ might look like, uh, especially in our South African context. And this morning, what we're thinking about is a subject which I think just about everybody recognizes is a huge need uh, in our country, and yet which I think we as a church, um, although there are lots of encouraging signs and lots of rich history, really need to do more thinking about, and that's the subject of education, Uh, particularly early childhood education and those very formative young years. Uh, It's a great privilege to have um, with us today uh, on the show, uh, Renia Kutsia, Renia is the founder of Trinity Children's Center on Mitchell's Plain, which started back in 2012. And he's spent years of thinking, years thinking about the problem of education in our country, and particularly God's calling um, on individual believers, on the church, um, to get involved. So, Renia, it's great to have you with us um, today. Um, it's great to, to be here, and we're looking forward to hearing from you on the subject. Um, perhaps we can begin, Renia, just hearing a little bit about your own story. Um, I remember first meeting you maybe about 10 years ago or, or more now, and I've, I noticed already then a passion for children. I think at that stage you'd been a Christian for a number of years already. Maybe you can just tell us a little bit about how that passion for children and for education grew in your own life. Hmm. Uh, yes, it, I guess my passion for children feels incidental from my point of view, although I guess in God's providence... Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's probably not the case. Uh, when I was in high school, so I only became a Christian in university. So when I was in high school, I wasn't Christian, uh, you know, nowhere near. Uh, but I was looking to earn some money. Uh, and in the school newspaper, there was an ad for entertainers for kids' birthday parties that paid eighty rand an hour, which in when was that two thousand five was a was a pretty decent amount uh, for a, for a high school job. So I uh, yeah, in high school I. Did kids' birthday parties, between animals, face painting, dressed up as Spider-Man, uh, etc. Uh, fast forward a couple of years, I became a Christian in first year of university. Uh, at you're know, being involved in church, looking for something, I guess, to get involved in a ministry to get involved in, having no no background, no experience. Um, uh, kids ministry sort of came up as something that, uh, yeah, having done a little bit of work with kids, at least entertaining kids, I thought yeah, maybe that's something where I can. Contribute something, uh, so I could entertain the kids while the other people teach them, and so we started doing uh, Sunday school, holiday clubs, you know, Friday afternoon programs, um, sort of outreach programs. Uh, over time, I guess that grew and grew to a more central place, uh, sort of in my life. After university, um, I had planned on a corporate career, but uh, but decided to sort of take take a bit of time out to do a ministry apprenticeship and sort of see, uh, just explore, I guess, whether there's they some role for me in ministry, uh, particularly children's ministry. And then uh, that in the end turned into uh, starting a school, starting Trinity Children's Center as a, I guess, as my view of what ministry looks like became broader, um, broader than just sort of Bible club on a Friday afternoon uh, to doing something more um, holistic and uh, 
maybe these are things we'll talk about, but but to look at the person as a whole, you know, to look at the child as a whole, and, and say what what does it look like to to serve children, walk alongside children in a more holistic way. Uh, so yeah, not not planned at all from my side, but. Okay. God's providence had led, yeah. led in that direction. Well, maybe you can share a little bit of that history. So back in 2012, you say, you started Trinity Children's Center, started as an ECD, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Early Childhood Development Center. And, uh, and if I understand correctly, this year, 2021, you'll have your first grade seven graduating class. So added yeah. a year um, each year. Um, maybe just share a little bit of, of that history with us so we can know um, what have been some of the challenges along the way. Um, yeah. Yeah, to go to go a little bit back, we didn't start with the vision of a school per se. And when I say we, a, a friend and I were grappling with, I guess, questions of what God is doing in the world, what that looks like to um, partner with what God is doing uh, in, particularly in reaching children, reaching children in vulnerable places, difficult places. And we started looking around at what other people were doing. So we, both in Cape Town and and around the country, we took some time to to go and visit other ministries. And that included all sorts, you know, orphanages, clinics, um, children's villages, shelters. Uh, it included some schools, uh, just a variety of different sort of ministries that uh, were trying to serve children one way or another. And and I think we learned a couple of things from that. Uh, and I'd certainly say to anyone who is thinking about the future and thinking about what they want to go and do, going to see things sort of in in person is an incredible experience um we read lots of books before that and spoke to uh, we'd done research before that but it wasn't the same thing as actually going to see the real thing and interacting with people who had started or were running those various ministries and and getting a real sense of, of what it is on the ground so that that was an incredible incredibly kind of formative experience i think for both of us and some of the lessons we took away from that was the value of doing something long term so we were working with the same people for a long time uh, and and uh, I mean, we'll get to this, but that's a big part of education is the opportunity to work with the same people for a long time. Uh, the value of being holistic, so so being able to look at different facets of a person and and be involved in multiple aspects of their life. And then finally, doing something that's developmental, so something that takes someone forward. It doesn't just meet a need in the moment, but it helps that person progress in their sort of journey and their development. Uh, and really, a school wraps all of those things together. So it's the kind of platform where you can, so in our case with Trinity, we uh, wanted to do preschool and primary school, which gives us you know, a space of nine, 10 years that, that a child will be with us. So from the time they're kind of three, four years old to the time they're in grade seven, you know, that's, that's a long period of time to work, not just with their child, but with their family and where they're coming to us five days a week. So we're seeing them often, we're seeing them 34, 40 hours a week for 10 years, that's long contact time to, to go on a journey with a child. And the opportunity to certainly be developmental, so it's a, not just what do you need in the moment, but how do we you know, look at your you growing in maturity, growing in skill, whatever else. Uh, but really opportunity to also be holistic. So I'd say meals can come with that and sort of provide meals, cooked meals at the school. Um, sort of family work can go with that. So, so not just developing the child, but saying how do we help their family move forward, uh, whatever their needs might be. Uh, you know, sport, you know, various other things. Uh, there's, a, there's a saying in education, you, a child's not a brain on a stick. So it's not just teaching in the sense of academics but but really trying to develop the whole person i think that's a uniquely christian contribution to the kind of field of education uh maybe there's been lost a little bit recently but but certainly in, in generations past this view of formative sort of this this formative process of how a person develops uh, i think christians have something unique to do to contribute there 
um, in terms of kind of a holistic understanding of what, what it means to be a human being uh, that it often yeah, it's easy to get lost in in education um, but yeah all of those things together I think made us say yeah we think a school could be a really powerful vehicle platform for reaching children for walking alongside children uh, and especially children in hard places where a lot of um, yeah where the odds are really stacked against them from from early on uh, we realized that uh, well, I should say we didn't realize quite <laughs> quite what it takes to start a school and everything that goes into that. You know, I think we had this vision of what it could achieve without fully understanding the cost of getting there. Um, uh, but yeah, that that is where the vision began, and uh, and through lots of ups and downs and back and forth, we uh, yeah over the last ten years sort of went on that journey. So we started preschool back in 2012. Those kids who were in the preschool in 2012, many of them are now graduating grade seven at the end of this year in a few months' time. Or at least I think they are. I might I might fail the whole class <laughs> just to keep just to keep them back for another year. We'll we'll see. Uh, but no, it's it's been a journey of going up one grade at a time with them, sort of developing the school uh, alongside the children over over the last ten years, and uh, and hopefully being able to serve many more generations of children to come. So so as those kids have gone up, naturally new kids come into the preschool every year, uh, and so so we have 135 kids at school now. That's a good overview. Maybe you can just share with us sort of what does a typical day look like, I suppose, um, for uh, a young person coming to Trinity Children's Center, what time they arrive in the morning, uh, what, what does that typical day look like? Just give us a flavor for it. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it's changed a little bit under sort of pandemic conditions. There are a lot of restrictions on what we can and can't do. Um, but nevertheless, yeah, the kids the kids would arrive between sort of 7.30 and 8. In the past, we used to have sort of communal breakfast. So the kids would all sit together in the hall and eat breakfast. We're not, not allowed to do that right now, but I'm sure in due course we'll go back to that. Uh, they will spend the majority of their time in a classroom with their teacher. And so we have 15 kids in a class. That's very intentional to have a small class. We've, we're trying to do something that's highly relational. And so where the teacher is able to spend a lot of sort of contact time with, with children. Uh, and for the most part, they don't swap classes. They're with the same teacher the whole day. And that, again, is intentional uh, so that there is that opportunity to build that relationship, that sort of mentoring relationship. That's a, a true across the grades as well? Yeah, so when, when they get to the final few grades, we do start doing a little bit of swapping just to get them used to it because in high school, that's obviously very common. So we do uh, try and make them a bit more used to it in the, in the final few grades. But, but for the most part, we try and keep keep sort of a high amount of contact with the same sort of same teacher throughout the year so that they can have that relationship. Uh, they do spend obviously time with other adults. You, we, we're intentionally a small school because of, again, that, that sort of relational safety that that creates. So it's 135 kids plus I think about 16 staff members. So it's about 150 people total in this little school community. And that means that a child can know the name and the face of everyone that they see the whole day. And what that creates is a sense of familiarity, a sense of community, a sense of, I know the people around me, I'm safe here. Uh, that's really important to us compared to being in a campus of 1,000 or 2,000 or whatever the case may be. So there's a school across the road from us that's nearly 2,000 children in public school. And I, I think that's a very different experience. So, so it's very communal, very relational. Uh, the kids will um, they'll spend a lot of their time in class doing you know, normal school things, math and English and everything else. We do uh, Bible as well. Um, so it is, it is an explicitly Christian school, but it's not limited to Christian students. So anyone can enroll, anyone can come, regardless of religious background. Um, uh, but it is explicitly Christian in the sense we teach the Bible, teach the kids to pray. Uh, we try to integrate sort of Christian worldview into 
sort of what we teach into history, into social science, etc. Uh, pre-pandemic there was a bit more opportunity to do sport and other things like chess and so on currently again there's some restrictions on what we're allowed to do at the moment but we uh, try to look at how the development is like I said not just the brain on the stick how the kids are getting kind of a broad uh, broad developmental exposure Uh, and then something that I think is fairly unique to I guess our model is that we try and have high family involvement so we have a lot of parent volunteers so on any given day, there could be five, ten parents sort of in the school, busy doing different things, uh, involved in the school. And that's, that's important to us. Again, almost all of our kids are within walking distance of our campus. And so that, uh, that again, was an intentional thing. When we do our admissions, we look for kids who are close by because we want to have that sense of community, that sense of sort of um, parents being able to come to the school, be involved in the school. And we have a couple of people on our team who's specifically focus on the parents and not the children. So getting to know them, um, being able to disciple them, being able to come alongside them with uh, whatever they might need. Uh, and so sort of big, big element of that. Uh, we've had the benefit of having a play therapist on staff. So some of the kids who, who have needed it are able to get um, a certain amount of intervention even during the day at school uh, to be able to do some play therapy, to be able to do with a trauma care specialist uh, who also does sessions either with individuals or small groups uh, depending on what the need is um yeah so day day will really vary uh between the different kids but it's a lot of what you would expect in a normal school setting it is a school it's not not, not something uh wildly unusual but but we've tried to put our sort of unique spin on that by sort of adding some of the things that that we think make a lot of um make a big difference uh to to the child's journey kind of through that nine ten years that they're with us uh, and then next year, some of our kids will go to high school and we'll, <laughs> we'll have to see. Our hope is that some of them will be able to come back to us in the afternoon. So so we don't offer high school. We end at grade seven. But the hope is that once they're off to high school, they're able to come back maybe in the afternoons, do some homework with us or do some mentoring with us or you know, have some kind of contact with us. So uh, once once all the primary school kids have cleared out and the building's empty and you know, there's space, uh, we hope for the high school kids to come back and, and keep that relationship going. Uh, since they all... Regardless of what school they go to, they all live close to us. Yeah. And so, so the hope is that, that we can keep that sort of alumni sort of connection going, uh, which will be okay. a big priority next year. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, so you've spoken of, about some of the um, unknowns and some of the costs. Um, obviously, lots of paperwork to get a school going, lots of administration. Um, of course, funding is also a real issue as well. Uh, maybe you can just share a little bit, you know, how God has provided um, for Trinity Children's Centre over the years. Do you have a link with the Western Cape Education Department? Is it largely personal donors? How's how's it? You know, how's this work keep on keep going? Hmm. We have an unusual funding model. So schools typically, independent schools, would run on fees. So so the parents pay a fee that covers broadly the cost of of the school we've not done that so we are a donor-based school which means 90 92 percent of our funding is through um through private donors so either individuals businesses uh, trusts uh, that that give the majority of those are south african we do have some overseas funding as well uh, but but largely south african christians who who resonate with what we're doing want to be a part of that and donate to that so that's the vast majority of our funding. We do charge a fee. So we charge um, sort of on a sliding scale, so from sort of zero to 400 rand a month, depending on the family circumstances. Uh, but that makes up a relatively small fraction, maybe 8% of our overall income. Uh, we are registered with the education department, but we're not subs- we don't receive subsidy from them. So we're not funded by government at all. Um, 
uh, so, it's, so it's mainly mainly private private funding. So we are a registered nonprofit public benefit organization. So there's a certain tax benefit potentially for both individuals or businesses to give to us. So we've gone gone that route of being very heavily donor funded for a number of reasons. Uh, the primary reason being we want the school to be accessible to anyone sort of in that uh, community. So we're in Mitchell's Plain in Eastridge, uh, which is generally a pretty low income sort of setting where, where folks don't have a lot of income, where private schools, independent schools don't exist because it's not affordable. Uh, and so uh, so the reason it's donor funded is so that it can be accessible to uh, to basically anyone. So even a, even a parent who can't afford anything at all, maybe someone who's unemployed, can volunteer instead. And so that, that fee that they would normally pay, they can make up in volunteer hours instead, okay. uh, which, which a lot of people do. Uh, but that is incredibly challenging to sustain uh, not just our, not just building the school in terms of buildings, classrooms, you know, the expansion of the school, but then also the actual monthly um, operations of the school. Uh, so, you know, so our annual budget is, uh, I think, probably about three and a half million rand. So we need to raise that you know, every year in addition to whatever we need to raise to build buildings, classrooms, everything else. So it's, it's a substantial amount of fundraising, uh, more than Lots more than one would think. Lots yeah. of time, depending on the law to provide. Um, yeah. Maybe you can share just some, yeah, some joys and challenges. I'm, I'm sure these revolve around people. Maybe, maybe a story or two as well of the way you've seen people grow. They've been with you now nearly ten years. These um, children, um, yeah, some joys and some challenges working with with children in in this particular context um, with big social problems. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the joys. Yeah, there's a vertical aspect and a sort of horizontal aspect. So, so I think the the, the sort of vertical aspect by which I mean sort of seeing God at work is probably the most, uh, yeah, I don't know if joy feels even the word, but it's, it's an incredible thing to see God show up in those sort of moments of, yeah, just not knowing what the next step is, where to go, what to do, where the resources are going to come from and see time and again, sort of God show up and, and give what's needed and uh, sort of make a way where you didn't think there was one. Um, in all kinds of ways. So, so that includes funding, but in many things, in trying to make a difficult decision, just not knowing what do we do, this is so complicated, what, what's the next step, and for God to give wisdom, or you're trying to find that next teacher, sort of the right person to join the team, and for that person to, to be provided. Or, um, you know, we came at a point maybe four years ago where we had been sort of developing our little campus. We had a small little space. There was a bunch of houses that we had sort of put together uh, but we're just completely out of space and didn't know what to do next. And, you know, the kids were about to go to the next grade. We didn't have space for them. Uh, and then, you know, another property came onto the market close by our old community center. It was pretty run down, but it was bigger than what we had. But, you know, the folks were asking a fortune for it, um, four million rand for it, which we didn't have. We didn't have a cent. But we went to go look at it and say, oh, okay, you know, this place is really great, but we'd, you know, we'd love to have it. It would give us the space to kind of expand up to grade seven, but we can't afford it. Um, and uh, I guess I won't go into all the detail, but, but we went back and forth with these folks saying, well, maybe maybe we can offer them something lower. So they want four, so we offered them two. Uh, they, they, they thought that was a joke and not a very funny one. Um, uh, but we went kind of back and forth with them. The whole thing fell flat. We got to, uh, what was this? Probably about August of 2017. You know, so we had three months left to figure out. At that point, we were at grade three. We needed to go to grade four. So we had had these kids for, I think, six years at that point, And we were potentially facing the decision of saying, well, you've been with us six years, you've reached grade three, and now we can't go further because we have no space. 
but then end of August that year, we got a call back saying, you know what, we, we thought about that offer you made and we'd actually like to take you up on it. Uh, the sort of cheeky offer we had made before. And uh, I mean, long story short, they, they accepted the offer. We were able to get transfer of the property at the end of November, 2017. So we had like two weeks to clean it up, renovate it, move in. Uh, to be able to afford it, we had to sell everything that we had before. We had to sell our previous campus completely. You know, we had to sell everything to be able to buy this other place. So in the space of two or three weeks, we you know, got a building in there, sort of cleaned it up, fixed the you know, it was broken windows. The place was run down, broken windows everywhere, you know, water pipes weren't working, electricity wasn't working. Like There were all sorts of issues. We got, got guys in there sort of cleaning up, fixing it up. We got a bunch of volunteers from East Mountain based here in Stellenbosch. They sent us a ton of volunteers. We packed up everything we had. And then essentially one day we packed, got in the truck. This truck went up and down like seven times, getting all our stuff over, moved in, uh, and started the new school year in this new building that you know, a couple of months before that we you know, was not, not on the table at all. Wow. So, so there were things like that, just these kind of divine interventions <laughs> uh, in many big and small ways. But then you know, in the horizontal aspect, it's exactly what you expect. It's seeing, seeing the journey that children are on. So seeing a child who joins us at three or four or five and seeing the many ups and downs, you know, like any person, like any of us, um, although often experienced at a much younger age, maybe than some of us have, you know, big, big challenges at at a relatively early stage of life sometimes. So death of a parent or your gun violence in the community or you're just a, just not being screened from some of the difficulties of life that certainly I would have been screened from at that age. Uh, so, so seeing children grapple with really hard things, but then being able to walk alongside them, helping them sort of work through those things and seeing the maturity that comes out the other side of that as a child thinks through very difficult things, grapples with different difficult experiences, but does that in a community um, with mature Christian believers around them. And it's say not, not all the kids who come to us are actually coming from a Christian home, um, but they, they're entering into a sort of community of faith that is trying to intentionally help them work through, think through uh, kind of life and the, the difficulties of life uh, from that perspective. And, and so you see the effects of that in children over time, how, uh, how they wrestle through these hard things. It's kind of the Romans 5 sort of thing of, uh, of sort of difficulty leading to character uh, and you see you know what is now a 12 year old a 13 year old and you can see the fruit of some of that work over over the space of, of how many of years that they've been with us uh, so seeing children who uh, maybe we struggled with um, depression or all sort of things related to that. I mean, those things sometimes look a little bit different in younger children, but, but seeing th- kids come through really dark times and come out the other side of that. Lack of motivation. Yeah, exactly. Or coming through with you know, issues of sort of anger or um, aggression. You know, a lot of that kind of fight or flight sort of stuff where, where they've had sort of a traumatic experience or ongoing, you know, people talk about continuous trauma, you know, just continuously difficult experience. Uh, and there can be, you know, there's a range of different ways the kids respond to that. Some can re- withdraw, some can become really aggressive, some can become, you know, just the big jokers where everything's just a joke, uh, you know, as kind of a way of coping with those things. And so helping those kids find new, healthier ways of kind of processing, dealing with things that allow them to kind of become the people that, uh, you know, that they have the potential to be. Uh, a lot of that is, I think what's striking to me is a lot of it's not like it is in the movies where it's, uh, you know, there's, there's a tough situation and then there's kind of the conflict and the resolution and then the happy ending. It's not as neat and tidy as that a lot of the time. It's much more of a continuous, 
thing of wrestling, a bit of progress, a bit of growth, a bit of sometimes regress, you know, going backwards, going forwards, going backwards, going forwards. And there's never this sort of clean, happy ending in the household plan. You know, it's a continuous story. And they're only, you know, when they leave us, they're only 12, 13. So they've got the rest of the lives ahead of them. Well, I think it's like you said, it's like our everybody's story in some ways. Yeah, mm. yeah exactly. Uh, but nevertheless, you do, one of the benefits of working with the same people for a long time is you do get to see that progression. And even though it's not this kind of neat, tidy movie plot, uh, you, you do see um, growth and progression and, and ongoing struggle. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully we've given them some of the tools to, to wrestle that and uh, we'll see when they get to high school. That'll be the test. <laughs> yes, no, that's exciting. And well, let's think a little bit about some of the biblical theological um, foundations uh, that you work from, some biblical themes, texts that have inspired you. Um, in this particular work um, but maybe you can actually just begin by just saying why should Christians be concerned about education in our country I suppose it's a big question um, yeah why, why should Christians have this concern um, about education sure I think I think there are a number of different avenues that can bring people to education and certainly the people that I've spoken to or invest in education have come have come to it from different angles you can care about education for education's sake and I think that makes a lot of sense for Christians. We care about truth. We care about beauty. We care about, you know, I guess what people think and what they believe. And those things, we you know, believe that those things really matter. And so what's being taught, what's being learned should matter to us. It should matter to us whether what's being taught as true is really true, whether what's being taught as right is really right. Uh, so, so I think you can care about education for education's sake. And you know, if, if you're in education, if you're a teacher, you, you should. You should yeah. care about uh, I guess at a, almost a, I want to say a philosophical level, a more technical level of the actual content and form and sort of approach to education. Uh, if you're not in education per se, maybe that's of less interest to you, but, but there's a whole sort of whole realm that I think Christians have a lot of value to add in understanding what a human being is from a political perspective, and that affects the way that you think about education, about teaching, about development. So you can come to education for education's sake. I think you can come to education for children's sake, which is probably more the route I've come. So, so I didn't start out wanting to be involved in the education. I started out caring about children, and that led me to education because that's a big part of a child's life. So they spend the majority of the time at home and at school. And so I think Christians, if we care about children, which we ought, you know, so God described himself as a father to the fatherless. God cares about children, especially children in hard places. And so those two things should matter to us. What's happening at home and what's happening at school? Because that's where kids are a lot of the time. And so we should care about things like child protection, things like foster care and adoption, about kids who don't have a functional home uh, or functional family life. I think that's something we should care about immensely. Uh, and, and also kind of what's happening at school. So, so in those school communities, how are they formed? How are they being shaped? Uh, what is the experience there? Uh, so those two things. And thirdly, I think you can care about education for society's sake. So if you think about the future of a society, education really matters. It matters about what the next generation, how they will think, how they'll kind of process the world around them, what the worldview will be. Uh, so, so I think those kind of different angles, and I, I think Christians have good reason for any of those reasons, or all of those reasons, actually, to, to have an interest in education, uh, whether at kind of a micro level, at a macro level, at different levels. And you know, rather tragically, I think South Africa's education system is, is in a lot of trouble. And it fills me with dread sometimes to think about, I guess, where we're going uh, in terms of 
there's some notable exceptions. There's some absolutely amazing schools and amazing teachers, and you know, there's some absolutely incredible things happening. Uh, but they are the exception. And so, you know, I think for Christians in general, uh, we, uh, we should be heartbroken, I guess, about what... Yeah, I think most of us, and I imagine most people listening to this, have had a reasonably decent education and probably cannot imagine the stuff that's happening in most of public education at the moment. And certainly for me, I mean, I went to a public school as a kid, but what's happening now is not what was happening 20 or 30 years ago. It's, it's, a, lot of, a lot has changed, and I, I think people often don't realize quite the state... And I say there are exceptions, but but on the whole, uh, education is in a not in a good place, uh, and it's, it's it's heartbreaking to think of the children who are starting the education now who have, uh, yeah, in a sense, so many such difficult odds to overcome. Uh, yeah, I I think that alone, that's what ins- I guess inspired me to say I want to come alongside children and say, how do I walk some kind of a road alongside them, helping them to overcome sort of the odds that are. Uh, very much stacked against them in a way that uh, that is hard hard to fully grasp until you've seen it. Um, the I mean, just to talk about I guess the a specific text that really led me to that is Isaiah fifty eight, which which perhaps is a familiar text. To some you know talks about uh, it, it sort of begins with a description of sort of the people of Israel fasting and God not seeing them, not hearing them, and the sort of complaint about why do we fast and you don't hear us. Uh, and God essentially you know, through Isaiah says to them, well, well, you fast, but at the same time you oppress uh, and you do wickedness. And is and he's speaking to talk, I guess, about true fasting. Say so this, this is the fast that I choose, uh, you know, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to, to you know, set free the oppressed, to feed the hungry, to care for the homeless. Uh, you're just this, this sort of rich description of coming alongside the oppressed and the needy, sharing with them, meeting their needs, uh, you're setting them free. And intermixed with that throughout that chapter, these promises of incredible intimacy with God. You will call and I will say, here I am. Sort of God speaking to his people. Uh, your, your light will break forth. Your bones will be made strong. So, so it's the, the sort of mix of a calling to care for the needy and a, a promise to be with you and to sort of answer your cries and to be near you and to make you strong and to uh, your, your, your um, sort of light will rise in the darkness. And I, I wrestled that, you know, that text has been very influential for me over, uh, over the last 10, 11, 12 years whenever I first grappled with it uh, because I was trying to understand that. Well, how, how does that work? Why is there this, 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 this partnership between intimacy with God and caring for the poor and the vulnerable? And I think it has a lot to do with who God is himself So. I said earlier, he talks about himself as the father to the fatherless, the protector of widows. There's something in, I think, God's nature to care for the vulnerable, the oppressed. Uh, and it's not as if he's sitting back and telling us to go. He's already there. He's already in those places. He's already in the hard places, walking alongside people. And so when we go there, we find him already there. And that's, I guess that's been my experience with Trinity, is that as we've sort of gone into this uh, challenging place, a place where it's hard to be a child, we found God already at work before we got there. And so we've, we've sort of entered into something that he's already doing. And, and you do, yeah, you do experience, I guess, that intimacy of seeing God at work in ways that you just couldn't have imagined uh, and that you have the opportunity to kind of step into. And so, so I think the invitation to Christians that I would offer is to say, God is already at work in big ways in the hard places. And the invitation to us is to go join him there, to go find him there, sort of in the thing that he's already doing. 
uh, and so to see I guess to see a side of him of his faithfulness and of his power that that you might otherwise otherwise miss out on so coming back to a comment that you made earlier that I find quite interesting was the idea of blending in the Christian worldview in the process of education, which of course is something that one would not find in a secular state-run context. So I would be very interested to hear from your side, where do you find the largest, I guess, deviation from the state model, like perhaps reflecting on certain subjects? So if I were to send my kid to a Christian school or a state school, something like mathematics would probably look quite similar in both contexts. But in what kind of fields or subjects would you say you find the largest deviation because of the Christian worldview being kind of introduced into the module? Mm-hmm. So at the deepest level, I think the distinction often comes down to whether there's such a thing as absolute truth. So, so is there truth or is it socially constructed, you know, relative and and that's often not obvious when you kind of look at it from outside. So you look at the math, you look at the science curriculum, whatever else it is. You have to dig to really understand the difference between what would I teach and how would I teach if I believe there is such a thing as truth and goodness and beauty that is absolute, that is defined, versus if I believe truth, goodness, beauty are all kind of relative, subjective, socially constructed. And, and it's like a fork in the road that takes you on two very different paths. And you do see it expressed, I think, more strongly in the social sciences uh, than maybe in something like a math or language. It has it has an impact everywhere, but but in terms of what you're asking, yeah, I think you know the history, the science, the things that deal more directly, I guess, with questions of morality and so on. I think you will see the difference more starkly. But I think that underlying difference between sort of a, a basis in the true, the good, and the beautiful versus the, the sort of the social contract and social construction. Uh, I think it'll show up everywhere. And it can be incredibly hard to, even just as an individual teacher within your, your classroom, to know, uh, I guess, how to play those things out. Uh, but but I think that's, that's something for Christians to grapple with in a big way and say, what is your worldview sort of based in kind of the story of God uh, that gives an identity that is not choose who you want to be, um, you know, whatever whatever feels right is right. Uh, you know, sort of an identity that's part of some bigger picture that has the significance and the meaning that comes with that. I think that's an incredibly empowering thing for children to say, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm part of something bigger. I don't ha- I don't have to make it all up. I don't have to just do the next thing that feels good. Or you know, I think on the one hand. You know, those those sort of shallow promises of um, of the kind of the subjective stuff. Yeah, it kind of sounds nice. Uh, you know, you can be whatever you want to be, and uh, I don't know that. But I don't think it gives kids the 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 real substance. You know, I, I think there's a I've seen a tendency. I think in many cases to underestimate what kids are capable of intellectually and morally, and you know, to to feed kids just sawdust, so to speak, uh, to give them really kind of watered down yeah, just not not the meat <laughs> and I, I think something that Christians can add to that table say is to have a high view of children say these children are made in God's image and they're young but they're people they're not they're not going to be people when they're growing up they're people now and therefore they can grapple with big ideas and they can grapple with ambiguity and they can grapple with questions of right and wrong and what is good and true and uh, yeah, I'd love to see more kids 
grappling with those big things, the things that can give your life shape and meaning rather than just memorize the textbook, write the test, go on to the next thing uh, because it's going to get me a good job. One of the, one of the th- I guess, practical outworkings in education when you don't have a grounding in the, in the sort of the, what I want to call the deep things, questions of sort of life and meaning, is that it becomes very pragmatic. It's about what job you're going to get and choose subjects that are going to lead to a good job. And that's, yeah, that becomes kind of the, the, the justification for education is, is that it's preparing you for the working world. Uh, which which is not untrue. Part of the reason you get an education is to be able to work, obviously. But if that becomes the basis for your education, that it's just about getting a job, it's treating people like machines. So I'm programming this machine to become an accountant when it grows up. Uh, as opposed to, I'm developing a person. In all the fullness of what that means, a person made in God's image. Preparing them for life in a, in a holistic way, not just for their... The employment, future employment. Yeah, I think uh, I think what you're touching on now is kind of the question of what is the purpose of education or mm. the teleology really behind it, and how does that differ, you know, in a Christian context versus a secular context? And like you point out, in a secular context, it often is the case. It's a very materialistic worldview, right? The purpose of education solely is so that I get a job, so that I'm comfortable, and so that I'm well off. And obviously everyone wants to be comfortable and well-off, but as Christians, we're not primarily called to be comfortable and well-off. There's, a, there's the larger meta question of education under the lordship of Christ mm. and how, what does that look like in God's creational design of things and mm. the role that that plays. Yeah, But that's, a, that's probably a more complex topic. I don't know if you want to say anything about that. Well, maybe just in short to say, your understanding of education will only be as good as your understanding of people what a human being is. Uh, and, and I think it's true of all the social sciences. The richer your understanding of a human being, the richer your understanding will be of education and any other kind of social science uh, because it's all rooted in how we think about people. And and I, I think that's where Christians really have something to add. We have a unique and rich and deep anthropology given to us in scripture that answers that asks a lot of big questions and gives us a way to answer some of those big questions. Uh, whereas without that foundation, people don't want to ask the big questions because there are no answers. And so why, you know, why ask these big questions of the purpose and everything else if, if you have no way of answering them, if it's all just, you know, pick what feels, feels good to you. Uh, perhaps also just uh, share a word with us, um, again, on the topic of the distinction between Christian education and secular education, uh, the secularists tend to view education as some form of salvation. So they're still made in God's image, and so they can't help but realize the brokenness of the world. And so one of the solutions is, well, if people were just more educated, then that would solve the issue. Uh, As Christians, we obviously understand the importance and the necessity of education, but we understand that it ultimately will not uproot evil and sin in the world. So perhaps just uh, share some wisdom or a few words with us about that distinction within the Christian context that you work in. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think we all live with sort of assumed stories, whether we're conscious of them or not. And so, so that sort of idea of education as, as salvation, education as sort of the thing that's going to save society, save people, uh, you know, there's a long history of that. That's, that's nothing new. And that assumes a certain story that the problem is that people are ignorant, 
people don't have enough knowledge and therefore the answer is that we give them knowledge we teach them and then the outcome is this new world where everyone's uh you're informed and educated and therefore everything just works um and when you put it out like that i think you can hear how silly that is <laughs> and that uh, you know, educated people can still be evil <laughs> And so, and in fact, more effectively evil, I think C.S. Lewis would say, uh, you know, more, let's say more educated devils. Uh, so th- you have to go back to that, I guess, creation for redemption story as Christians say, well, what I believe the problem is, the fundamental problem, as opposed to the secular person who might think that's ignorance or that's you know, actually just economic development is a problem. Th- those are closely tied. So, so you read the problem is people, there's not enough sort of economic development in the world and education is a big part of economic development in people's minds. So, so what do I think the problem is? And that's going to affect what I think the solution is uh, and therefore how I kind of see the future unfold out of that solution. And so as a Christian, if you have a, I guess, a more holistic understanding of the fall, that it's, I guess, this rebellion against God that has had influence of every aspect of life, including the mind, then I can begin to see where education fits in as a part of redemption, but not the central thing. So, so it's not that education is going to save me. We, we have this sort of understanding of the gospel and of Jesus being redemption, but now actually I can see how education can be a part of that bigger story. I can see how me being involved in education can be a part of what God is doing in the world in terms of bringing, you know, creating a new heavens and new earth, this, this sort of progression towards restoration and how my education is never going to be perfect. It's not my education, you know, the education that I do, the school that I build is not going to be a perfect place. It's not going to solve all of the problems, but it can be sort of in light of the bigger picture of what God's doing in the world, it can be valuable. It can make a real difference to people's lives. Um, in some sense, counteracting. You know, so I think education can, in, in a sense, you know, there's a saying, all truth is God's truth. And so whenever I come face to face with truth or goodness and beauty in whatever facet, there's something of God to be seen in that. And as a teacher, as an educator, you know, the opportunity to help, you know, whether that's in a good piece of literature, and it doesn't have to be Christian literature, just good literature, or as I'm engaging sort of nature through science, or as I'm engaging just uh, some form of truth or goodness and beauty in whatever field I'm teaching in, there's an opportunity there, I think, for the heart to be shaped in response. You know, I'm thinking of kind of the Romans 1 thing of when, when my heart comes into contact with goodness, truth, and beauty, I have, a, in a sense, a choice to say, ah, this points to a creator and I can worship him because of something that I see of him in that truth and goodness and beauty, or I can suppress that truth. And you know, that leads, leads to idolatry. And education's not going... <laughs> if you're going in with the expectation that education's going to um, make everyone make the former choice and not the latter... Uh, you, you're going to be surprised. Uh, you know, people can can see truth, goodness, and beauty, and still reject it. Mm. Uh, but I think if you can see education that within that framework of kind of creation for redemption, um, you know, creation regained by Al Walters is is really helpful in that in that sort of understanding. Um, I think that gives that gives you a way to see its worth without making it ultimate, without making an idol, without making it the thing, but still a thing. It's not useless. It's a worthy thing to do, but within the framework of, of something bigger. Yeah, I think it comes back to what you said before about the question of anthropology and what does it mean to be human? That's going to inform what is wrong with humans, and that's going to inform what's the solution to our problems. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of people like uh, Sam Harris or Richard Dawkins, who 
would say, you know, our morals are just rationally self-evident. So there's that almost issue of ignorance of people who are just more educated. Mm. But uh, yeah, I think, thank you for that wisdom. That was something to chew on. Mm. Well, let's um, wrap things up a little bit, thinking about some practical implications um, of this. So um, Christians who are maybe inspired uh, hearing the story of Trinity Children's Center or other um, Christian initiatives to be involved in education might be thinking, well, how can I get involved? Maybe there's some Christian teachers listening or maybe someone's just inspired um, to be involved in the lives of children. What uh, advice, Renee, would you give to them? Maybe someone even thinking about starting a school in their area. Well, what advice to someone starting on this journey of being involved in education of young people? What advice would you give? If you are let's say a Christian teacher looking to get into some form of Christian education or one can start a Christian school, anything like that. I think a good place to start is, is worth getting into the network. So ACSI, the association of Christian schools international has a South African chapter that is present, I think in every province um, and some of our neighboring countries. So it is well worth your while. If you thinking about anything along those lines to, to Google ACSI South Africa, Sean Moore is the director and to have a conversation with them to say, uh, I'm a Christian teacher. You know, are there any Christian schools in my area that I could potentially work at? Or I'm a, you know, I'm a teaching student and I'm thinking about what to do next. Or I uh, want to start a school. Whatever the case may be, those, those are good folks to speak to. We belong to that network. Uh, and the reason that's important is it's a complex field to get into. There's a lot in education. There's, uh, there's a lot of layers uh, to navigate and to understand legislative stuff, sort of compliance stuff, practical stuff, financial stuff. Um, you obviously the philosophy of education and everything else. There are lots and lots of layers to, to schooling, more than, more than people realize, I think. And so just being in a network of other people who are doing the same thing is really helpful. So I definitely say absolutely get, get in touch with ACSI, find out um, whether there are any other people in your city, in your province, uh, that are part of the network, get in touch with them, visit. There's incredible value in just going to visit a place and seeing it, seeing the people, meeting the people, having a conversation. Uh, you're listening to, reading a book, listening to a podcast. It's a good start, but but actually going to see things in live and deliver, you know, physically is a, is a valuable thing. And, uh, and certainly if you're thinking about starting something, it, uh, I'm always hesitant to say this, there can be an incredible impact. It can be an incredibly worthy thing to do, but it's an incredibly challenging thing to do. And you don't know the half of it. <laughs> you know, when, when you're just thinking about it as a concept, you don't you don't know the half of the problems that are that are coming. Uh, and so it is really valuable just to have a reality check. Yeah, to have a reality check, to count the cost and say this, this is something that's worth doing, but it's not something that can be done casually. And and I think what I've realized is the cost of doing it right is high in terms of financial investment, in terms of personal investment, everything else. It takes a lot to do it right, but the cost of doing it badly is even higher in terms of the impact you can have on children. So when people entrust you with their children, there comes a weight of responsibility there that is that is hard to describe. Uh, and you're the witness of the church. So in our case, we work with the local church. That was one of our kind of founding principles. We wanted to work with the local church. You know, if our school messes up, that affects the witness of that church and the church more generally. Uh, and so, you know, there comes a weight of responsibility when you when you take on something like this that that I think one has to wrestle with. It's not a reason not to do it, but you want to do it with your eyes wide open and with support and with um, with good advice. 
but if you i mean if you're in the western cape come and visit us we'd love to show you around and and you can sort of see the some of the ins and outs of kind of what we've done which is not the only way to do things um Oh, well, we'd certainly encourage that. We'll have details on the website of how people can get in touch with Trinity Children's Centre. And I know many people, you mentioned East Mountain earlier, who've really benefited from being involved and seeing it in person. Um, yes. Maybe, finally, um, maybe some resources that you could recommend um, Yeah, for, for Christian thinking in this area. Sure. I'll, uh, I actually brought my physical books with me. So for the folks watching, you can you can see the covers of these books I'm going to mention. So first one, Schools as Communities, edited by James Drexler. So this is, in my opinion, the best book I've seen on Christian education. Uh, there's contributions from a lot of different people in here, wide range of topics in the different chapters. Um, this has shaped in quite a big way the way I think about school and what a school is. Uh, the title, Schools as Communities, I think says much of it. That school is a relational thing. It's a place where people, it's, it's a learning community, a community of people together learning. Uh, and that's not the dominant frame of mind that I've experienced sort of in the education industry. That's not generally how people think about school, school as community. So I found this to be incredibly powerful. Uh, some, of the, some of the people who contributed to this book are professors of mine, just for full disclosure. <laughs> uh, people I've learned from sort of in a personal capacity. Uh, but yeah, schools as communities, I would, I think this is on Kindle I doubt you'll find it locally. It's a bit of a niche book, but but it is on Kindle. So Schools Community by Drexler. Definitely worth reading. More generally, if you're just thinking about not education per se, but but coming alongside um, people in hard places, then a book called When Helping Hurts, uh, Corbett and Fickett. Uh, also quite an influential book uh, for me and for many people that I know in terms of how we think as Christians about coming alongside um yeah, people in hard places, and what what that looks like from a from a Christian perspective. Uh, so those those would be my top recommendations. Maybe one other book. I don't I don't have a physical copy of it. I read it on Kindle, but uh, the beautiful tree. So that's not a Christian book specifically, but it does speak to a different way of thinking about education, uh, and particularly education among um, sort of poorer communities. Uh, I wish more people would read that book too. The beautiful tree. I forget the author, uh, but I would I would look that up as well. Orania, uh, thank you very much for being with us. Uh, we're greatly encouraged by the work that the Lord has been doing through you at Trinity Children's Centre and excited about the next chapter as well. Um, as the Grade 7 uh, students graduate this year, I do hope that you will pass them all and let them move on to the next chapter of life. Um, but thank you very much for being with us today and listening to you and yeah, hearing from some of that wisdom. Thank you. Thank you, guys. <laughs>